0: Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Today's episode is called The Courage of Esther. Have you ever heard about Esther's courage? she had the audacity to stand for God in an incredibly dark time. Though the Persian Empire had decreed the genocide of her people, she could have easily remained in the closet about her ethnicity and enjoyed the comforts of the palace. Nonetheless, she would not stand idly by, but courageously trusted in God and risked her life to petition the king for the lives of her people. Even if you already know the story of Queen Esther— it's worth your time to consider how her example can encourage you to stand up for God in your own context. There once was a king named Ahasuerus. He ruled over the Persian Empire, which was a vast territory sprawling out over 127 provinces. It went from Ethiopia to India, a massive empire encompassing modern countries, like Egypt, Israel, Jordan, Iran, Afghanistan, Iraq, and several more. And he was a man of, as you can imagine if you're at the top of this empire, this Persian empire, a man of fantastic wealth and power. And there was a time of uh, peace when he wanted to display his treasures. I've never had that happened to me, or anyone I know actually, who just decided i 'm going to display my treasures for a while, but that 's what, that's what you do when you 're in charge of the of the world um, so he signed one hundred and eighty days and he put his treasures on display just to show them off and At the end of that one hundred and eighty days, he had a seven day banquet, a sumptuous party of rejoicing and The queen, his wife, Vashti, she had her own banquet for the women. So you have Vashti with the women and then Ahasuerus with the the men. And on the seventh day of the banquet, you know, so you have 180 days leading up to this and then seven days. And then on the seventh day, the king says, you know what would just finish this whole time of celebration off better than anything? I just, I want the queen to come to the banquet. And he, he says that he wants to display her beauty to the people and the princes. And so he sent the servants, because when you're the king, you don't ever do anything directly. You always just send a servant. And so he sent the servants to go find the Queen Vashti and to bring her in. And, you know, it's not really clear to me what exactly his intentions were. I don't know enough about Persian culture to know if he was a chauvinist who was going to have her do something lewd, or if he was just really proud of how gorgeous she was and wanted her to be present at his celebration. I don't know, but I know she said no. She said, no, I am not coming. I'm not, I have, I have my, own, my own banquet over here. I'm not going. Do you go tell the king? No. And see, the problem with that, I mean, there are a few problems with that, and in, in, you know, this is several hundred years ago, over, you know... A 1,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, you know. So this is a long, and so, but there's something about guys that hasn't changed, which is that when a guy makes a grandiose declaration in public, and then someone, uh, you know, says, talk to the hand, it doesn't make him feel good about himself. Now, most guys don't have the power to do this, but Ahasuerus being the emperor, so to speak, of this Persian land, you know he became furious and when someone of that stature becomes furious you gotta watch out I guess she wasn't concerned in chapter 1 verse 14, verse 15 it says uh, the king asked the question according to the law I love how he puts that according to the law what is to be done with Queen Vashti because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs you know he's talking about himself in the third person he's very formal <laughs> I get that way when I'm really angry I start using big words. (laughs) The SAT vocab comes out. It's just weird. And then uh, people make fun of that, which makes me more angry. Um, But anyhow, King Ahasuerus says, you know, what should be done for this, you know, grave injustice? You know, the queen defied the king. He is the king. He didn't say me. Well, anyhow, the response comes back. Memekin says, uh, Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also all the princes and all the peoples who are in the provinces of King Ahasuerus for the queen's conduct will become known to all the women causing them to look with contempt to their, hus- on their husbands by saying well King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought into his presence and she did not come. <laughs> this day the ladies of Persia and Media who have heard of the queen's conduct will speak in the same way to all the king's princes and there will be plenty of contempt and anger. So you see the concern. This is not a private issue. It's not a private issue because it was a public declaration he made in front of everyone. All the princes were there. right? And people are going to hear what happened. And so there's a real concern among the, the men that you know everyone's just going to follow her example. And then our wives are going to go crazy. And the whole empire is going to fall to pieces. So he re- he replies if it pleases the king let a royal edict be issued by him and let it be written in the laws of the Persia and Media so that it cannot be repealed that Vashti may no longer come into the presence of king Ahashuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is more worthy than she When the king's edict which he will make is heard throughout all his kingdom great as it is then all the women will give honor to their husbands great and small like I said I don't know Persian culture enough not to make fun of this I mean it's just I mean come on do you really think that if 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 he removes her from being queen that now all the women in the empire are gonna snap into line you know like you know people uh, or that they're all gonna rebel just because she I don't know whatever this is what this is what happened okay this is what happened that's what they did and so there was a search for a new queen a search for a new queen so they scour the land for all the beautiful virgins and there is this jewish man named mordecai and mordecai was a little bit older and he had been carried away in the exile i mean we're, we're talking about uh... a, a situation where he, uh, probably his parents or his grandparents were taken out of the land of israel they're conquered by another nation taken out of the land And then brought to a foreign land. And then they had to learn a foreign language in order to communicate. And they needed to learn foreign customs and learn how to operate in this context. I mean, imagine if China conquered New York State and brought all of us there. How difficult would it be to operate in that context? Did you realize how hard Chinese is to learn for... Americans, especially, you know, English speakers, right? So you're trying to learn a foreign language. You don't know the landmarks. I mean, it's, it would just be really hard, wouldn't it? And that's what Mordecai is, is dealing with here. He's in a foreign land, except he's a generation or two into this situation. And his, his gorgeous cousin, Hadassah, um, you know, is younger than him, so he's like an uncle to her. He's raising her. She, she looks up to Mordecai. She does uh, what he says, follows his advice. And so, uh, during this period is when the Jewish synagogue probably got introduced, because when you're living in a foreign land, just like imagine if we all ended up getting deported to China, right? Suddenly, your faith you no longer take for granted, right? Suddenly suddenly your faith, you're like really concerned to pass it on to the next generation because you know if your kids intermarry with the the locals, they're just going to go on to that, whatever that faith is, right? And so people started to really get serious, not that they weren't necessarily serious before, but even more serious about passing on the uh, commands of God and the way of life that God prescribed to the next generation. And so Mordecai was, of this time period, known as the, the exile. By this time, some people had come already back to the land, but there were a lot of others who stayed in exile in this foreign place. Well, anyhow, the king's men grabbed Hadassah, because, like I said, she was gorgeous. And the king was looking for a queen, and so she, she ended up getting taken. And uh, when she went, Mordecai told her, Hadassah, whatever you do, don't reveal your ethnicity. Don't tell the king that you're not Persian. Don't don't tell him that we're Jewish. And and so she goes by the name Esther. Cuz Esther is a name that the Persians wouldn't associate as an ethnic name. They would just accept her. And so that's what she did. And so I you know, I don't know what what it was about Esther, but she impressed the king. Out of all the women that he could pick from, he chose her above the rest. In Esther chapter 2, verse 17, we read, The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And around this time, Mordecai discovered a plot. So Mordecai is is the, the man outside. So on the inside, you have in the palace, you have the king... You have Queen Esther now, very uh, honored position. And then outside the palace, you have Mordecai. And he's, he's, he's like looking, he's, he's watching out for her still. But he's not part of the, the official system. He's not an insider. He's like an outsider, but he's close. He's nearby. He's sitting in the, in the gate, you know, keeping an eye on things. And one day he sees something going on. He, he discovers a plot to kill the king. And because he discovers this plot, he he reveals it to Queen Esther. He says, look, this is what I saw. Tell the authorities. She tells the authorities. They investigate the matter. And there were these two guys that were going to assassinate the king. And they discovered it and put them, uh, or ended up executing these guys who were plotting this assassination. And it was written in the history book of the uh, Medes and the Persians. Then we get to this... So we have two. We have uh, Ahasuerus, the king. You have Queen Esther. And then the third is Mordecai. Now you have the fourth person enter the story, Haman. See, Haman was one of these guys that just loved to be complimented. You know, it just really inflated him. And so he was promoted over all the princes. And, you know, if... If some of us get promoted over all the princes, you know, we'd be able to handle it. And then others of us, if you get, you know, now that's all you want to talk about. It's all over your Facebook. It's all over everything. I got promoted above all the princes. You know, that's how Haman was, right? I mean, he's just intolerable. And so he, he has it so that all the king's servants will bow before him when he comes in and when he goes out because he has such authority. Except there's this one... Jewish guy, Mordecai, and he's, he's, he's in the area of the, of the palace, but when, when Haman comes in, Mordecai won't bow. Mordecai's like, I ain't bowing to this guy. Look at him. Well, he didn't say look at him, but he, he said, I'm not going to bow to this guy. And so the king's servants would ask Mordecai, they're like, Mordecai, but there's enough people that he blended in. He blended, it wasn't a big deal. But the king's servants asked Mordecai, they said, Mordecai, what's wrong with you? Why don't you bow to Haman? Everybody bows to Haman. Everybody. And he said, well, I, I, I can't. And, they, and, and every day they ask him, why don't you bow? You know, what is it about you? Are you trying to, what you, are you a revolutionary? What is this? And Mordecai says to them, it's because I'm a Jew. It's because I'm a Jew and I, and I, it's, I, I feel like it's wrong. And so the, the king's servants, you know, they're gossiping back and forth. You know, Mordecai doesn't bow. Maybe, maybe this is a good excuse. Maybe not. Let's go tell him. So they tell Haman, and they say to Haman, you know, Mordecai's a Jew. He doesn't bow. Is that okay? Haman's like, no way. Who, who does he think he is? He's not going to bow to me? Mordecai. <laughs> and so Haman was filled with rage, and there's nothing more insulting to Haman than somebody that refuses to honor him the way he feels he should be honored. Right, And so what he decides on is kind of unbelievable. Uh, he, He could just, with the snap of his fingers, have Mordecai executed, just like that. But instead, he disdained to take out just this one man. He wanted to take out this man and his entire people throughout the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire. Because only then would the insult to his honor be fixed. That's the kind of man we're dealing with here. Somehow these kind of people end up in power from time to time. It's just like, how did we let this happen? But it it does happen from time to time. And so uh, he decides he doesn't want to just kill Mordecai. He he wants to kill Mordecai's people not only in the capital of Susa where where the Persian Empire is located, but throughout all the different provinces throughout the the land. We call this genocide. That's what we call this. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. We call this genocide. He wants to genocide the Jews. Esther chapter 3, verse 8. Then Haman said to king Ahasuerus, there's a certain people. So this is, this is how Haman's going to go about it. He's not, he's not in a position. He's not the king, right? So he's not in a position to just make it so, right? I mean, he could have somebody killed, but to wipe out a whole people group, he's going to need the permission of the big guy. Right, So Haman says to Ahasuerus, There's a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples in the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of all other people. That's true. And they do not observe the king's laws. So it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. What? Don't let them live because they're different? That's what it says. Uh, Verse 9, If it is pleasing to the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who carry on the king's business to put into the king's treasuries. Verse 10. So that's a pretty sweet deal for the king. I mean, think about how Haman spun this situation, right? This is people. They don't listen to you. They don't follow your laws. And the Persians, you know, they're big into laws. You know, they would make a law and it was unalterable. That's how they felt about it. There's no repeal process. It's like, we made the law. Period. And so, they don't follow the laws. And you know what? King, I'm not even going to ask you for funds to pay for this extermination. I mean, cleansing. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you 10,000 talents of silver. I'll, I'll manage the situation. You don't have to. You just, just, give me, just give me your ring. I'll write the letter. I'll write the... Just, I'll take care of it. What wickedness. Is in this man's soul. So, what does the king do? Verse ten. King's like he's the king is probably like in the middle of playing video games or something, uh, and he's like, "All right, just go, whatever, Haman." You know, just kidding. They didn't have video games. Then the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hammedatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said to Haman, "The silver's yours, and the people also to do with them as you please." So, I get the impression that. The king's like, whatever, you know, just like, you're doing this, and I want you to do this, you know. (laughs) Then the king's scribes, verse 12, were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, as it was written, just as Haman commanded to the king's satraps, to the governors, and and so on. And so what they do is they send out a declaration, an official edict of the Persian Empire, that on a certain day, and, and, and so Haman cast lots month after month, to find out when is the, is the best time to uh, command that the Jews be killed. And it falls on the 12th month. And so the edict goes out that on the 12th month, anyone who has Jews near them is given full permission to kill them and take their stuff. And so... You know, is 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 bad for a couple of reasons. I mean the obvious one. But also now there's this long wait where month after month after month, you know, you're a Jewish person, you you know, maybe you have a, a shop or something, people come into the shop, they're looking at your stuff a little differently, aren't they? They're not looking at it in the sense of, Oh, I'd like to buy that. They're looking at it like, well, in the twelfth month, that's gonna be mine. You know, and you have this pressure and people kind of revealing what they're going to do. And there's something twisted in human nature that if we know we can get away with it, we're way more likely to do it, even if we know it's wrong. And that is what starts happening. People start revealing that uh, nasty side of them. You know, I was thinking about, like, Haman casting lots to find the the perfect uh, month to do do this. And, uh, you know... There's going to be this event this, this evening, I don't know if you heard about it, called the Super Bowl. And do you know how they start the game, figure out who catches the ball and who, who kicks the ball? Yeah, they flip a coin. A real sophisticated way of dealing with something, right? Flip a coin, right? And so we still do that today. Right? You know, it's like, well, which, which one should do it? I don't know. Let's just leave it to chance. And you f- flip a coin and see what happens. So that's, that's what ended up happening here with Haman. Um, and so, anyhow, Mordecai finds out what happened. And can you imagine Mordecai? Here you are in exile, a foreigner who's trying to preserve the faith, who's trying to keep your cousin from getting killed or whatever happened to Vashti. We don't even know. But she's in a position that's pretty scary, right? Being the queen. And He's trying to keep the faith and everything else. You've got this idiot that's like a peacock with its feathers stuck all out trying to get everybody to bow to him. And Mordecai's trying to be true to his God. He's trying to be true to who he is as a, a faithful servant of the Most High God. He doesn't want to bow, right? But because of all that, what's happened is that not only is his life in danger, he's just, he's, it's his fault that his entire people, the people of God, are now going to be exterminated throughout all the provinces. I mean, can you imagine the load on this man when he finds out about this decree? And you know how he finds out about the decree? It's tacked up in the public square. And he reads it and he says, Oh no. He tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and ashes. He went into the midst of the city and he wailed loudly and bitterly and there was no one to console him. You know, he just let it rip. I mean, just a display of utter tragedy and sorrow that would really get people's attention. Of course, as this decree goes out from province to province, all the rest of the Jews feel the same way and they start weeping and they're, they're fasting and they're praying and they're asking God to do something. And Esther is, is kind of like in this bubble, this royal bubble. We call it the palace, right? And she's not necessarily too in tune with everything that's going on in the outside world. So she doesn't know what's going on with Mordecai. And she just hears that he's in sackcloth and ashes and wailing bitterly. So she sends some clothes to him. It's like she gets some service. Like, here, give, give cousin here some clothes because I heard he's, you know, in, a, in, a, in need out there. And uh, the maidens go out and uh, tell her. Uh, or tell Mordecai, you know, here's some clothes and so on, And she sent. And Mordecai told them what happened, and they report it back to Esther. Look at chapter four, verse eleven. So Mordecai basically says, Esther, this is what's going on, and Esther, you need to do something. You need to do something. Esther four eleven. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court, who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death. Unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter, so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. Esther's in an interesting position here. She's the best positioned Jewish person to... Talk to the king, right? Because she's the queen, obviously. But the king isn't, you know, he hasn't even seen her for 30 days. And the king has this policy. It seems like he has two policies. When I say come, you come. And when I don't say come, you don't come. Right? <laughs> like, he said to Vashti, come. She didn't come. He's like, all right, you're done. And you don't just go into the king's presence. And if you go in, it's an automatic death penalty unless he gives you a pardon by holding out the scepter, his golden uh, scepter. Hmm. Now what are Esther's options here? She's in an interesting position because she's undercover. She's going by the name Esther. They don't know she's Hadassah. You know, they don't know that she is one of these Jews who actually even still believes in the one true God, they don't know anything about her. They just know that she she won the Miss Persia pageant and got picked as the queen, right? That's all they know about her. And she could ride this out. You know, she's probably one of the fewest people, one of the only people that could safely get through this whole genocide. You know, because nobody knew who she, you know, her ethnicity and she was already in, you know, nobody would think that. So, she's relatively safe. Look at chapter 4, verse 13. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. So, Esther replies back, look, if I go in, it's a death penalty unless he holds out the scepter. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. I mean, look at Mordecai's faith. He's antagonized a man powerful enough to genocide his people, and he pushes Esther to do what's right, But he's confident that God is going to deliver his people somehow or other. He doesn't know if it's going to be through Esther or through some other way. But he has a trust in God. He knows the history of God's dealings with his people. He knows that God is a covenant God that has not abandoned his people. And that God is going to bring them through this. And he says to her, who knows, maybe it's you. But if you don't do this, don't think you're going to get away scot-free. Right? So he's he's pushing her in a certain direction here, right? Who knows if you have attained royalty for such a time as this. And of course Esther has a good reason to fear the king. You know, the last queen that when it, you know, didn't do what he wanted, got removed. Look at verse 16. So this is what Esther does, and I love this. This is an example to us. Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. Have you ever done that fast? Uh, The times that I have fasted, I always drink. I always at least drink water, right? This is a strong fast. This is a radical fast. She's saying, look, get all the Jews together, Mordecai. Have them stop eating and stop drinking for three days and three nights. This is going to be a time of, and the whole purpose of fasting is is not just to torture yourself. Actually, it's not to torture yourself at all. But it is to intensify your prayer, to to, to grab hold of God. That's the whole purpose of fasting. It's a prayer intensifier. It's like installing an antenna on your prayers. So that it's just like you're praying more and with more intensity than normally you would. And three days, they're going to do this. What a godly response to a situation, right? I mean, it's really impressive to me. I and my maidens also will fast. Oh, so she's not just asking them to do it. She's going to do it too. And she's going to have all her, uh, her maidens fast with her. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mm. Look at that. Did you see that? Did you see that? That's the faith of Abraham right there. That's the courage of Daniel. That's the heart of David. That's that's the uh, a child of God who says, "And if I perish, I perish. I'm going to do it anyhow." A true leader. You know, many of us, you know, we struggle to trust God when it comes to, you know, doing marriage or, um, you know, the, the the big thing these days is, you know, you live together and then you get married. Right? Well, God says you get married, then you live together. So, you know, but we're like, I know God says that, but I'd rather do this. Or, you know, uh, the, the taxes, right? We'll be like, well, the government, the government's corrupt anyhow, it's all bloated, you know, what do I want to give them my money for? I don't need to report everything. Right? What does God say? Pay your taxes. Right? So it's like, you, you know, you have all these different, or God says if you marry somebody, you stay married to them. Right? You know, and, and so, but we're, ah, well, it's not working out, you know, and we need to trust God. Amen. We need to be the kind of people that trust God. And I know we've all made mistakes in the past. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but my point is, from here forward, let's trust God and do it what He says. You see what I'm saying? Let's be like Esther, going for. And that is the essence of trust: is is recognizing that no matter what happens, I'm going to do it God's way. And we'll and 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 it might be hard for me. It might. Be difficult, but I'm going to do it anyhow. You know, we're so clever. We, we, we find all these loopholes, right? I know it's my nature, just to like, you know, if God says to do something, it's like, I know, but I could, I could, I could t- say this, and it's not really a lie, but it's not the truth either. You ever feel like that? And, and you know that if you trust in God, you, you're going to face the music. And it's going to hurt for a second, but he'll get through it, right? That's what we need to do. Where are the esters of our day? Where are the esters of our day? Where's the woman who, of courage who says, no, I will not give in. I will not compromise. I will not chicken out. I will not go down the easy path. I'm going to stand for God, and if I perish, then I perish. So be it. But I'm not going to be a pushover. I'm not going to be a wet noodle Christian. we got too many of them. Right? And I know all of us are tempted with that at different times. But we're going to be the kind of Christian that sticks to what God says. Especially when it's difficult. We want to be like Esther. You want to be like Esther? I want to be like Esther. I want to be like the kind of person who faces an impossibly weird king who's fickle and prone to violence, right? And say, I'm walking in. I'm putting on the robes. I'm walking in. I'm going to walk in. I know it's a death penalty unless he holds out the scepter. I'm going to do it anyhow. I have to do it. It's the right thing to do. She has no guarantee. There's no promise in the scripture that says, oh, and if you walk before the king, God will be with you and, and you won't die. Sometimes we die. Sometimes we do... Fall as martyrs. She has no guarantees. There's no safety net. There's no parachute. There's no just kidding. Right? There's no, oh, I have my fingers crossed behind my back. No! no! This is Persia. These people are crazy. And she's going to walk in. You know? That teaches me about courage. That teaches me about true courage. True courage is not the absence of fear, but pushing through the fear. If you have no fear in this situation, there's something wrong with you, right? It's a death penalty. You should be afraid, right? True courage is saying, I feel afraid, but I'm still going to do the right thing anyhow. That's what she did. And we need to do this even in the small areas of our life. When we wake up in the morning, you read your Bible. If you have children, teach them about God. Uh, If you have a family, pray for your family. Every day. These little things, these little acts of trust and courage, and you cultivate that. I mean, look at Esther's response. The very first thing she does when she finds out about the situation is she says, fast. All of us fast. Everybody fast, Three days, no drinking, no eating. I'm going to fast. My people are going to fast. You fast. And we'll see what happens. That's her first instinct. Where does that come from? Have you ever studied or read about how palace, court politics work in, in whatever empire you want to talk about, whether in Britain with King Henry VIII, or whether in uh, the Roman Empire or the Greek empires. This is not how court politics work. This is how it works. Bribery. Slander. Right? It, all this kind of like deception, and you're going to work with these people over here and then use them against these people over here. That's how it works in the world. What does Esther do? She said, I'm going to go at it straight. I'm going to go into that king and I'm going to ask for the life of my people. And if I perish, I perish. She's like a she's. you look historically, I, I study history a lot, so I'm just so impressed by this. Like, you, you look at it historically, she's a freak of nature. There's nothing like her. There's nobody that does this. Nobody does this. Right? But she, tr- she trusts God. She trusts God. And she says, if I perish, then I perish. Where's our Esther? Where's our queen? We need a woman. We need a man to stand up like that. I want to stand up like that. You want to stand up like that? I want to be like that. You know, the stakes in our society are so low, at least right now. The, the, you know what I mean? Like you, if, if, if you stand up for what you believe in, you know what they you know what they do to you? They call you a name. It's kind of like the school playground. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you're you're a Panthers fan, and they make fun of you for for, for that. Or oh, you're a Broncos fan. Oh, they, oh you you whatever. We got a Broncos fan in the front. So. I mean, that's, what, that's like what we're dealing with here in our society. And that shuts our mouths. Do you realize that? It shuts our mouths. We want to be courageous. On the third day of not eating or drinking, she put on her royal robes. You know that took some time, right? She got everything just right. Just right. As best as she could. It was like the Miss Persia pageant all over again. Right? And she's going to go in there, and she's going to stand before the king. And the ki- she goes in, she opens the inner court, the king's sitting on his royal throne. And upon seeing Esther, he holds forth the golden scepter. He holds it forth. And he says to her, what's troubling you, Queen Esther? What's your request? What's <laughs> troubling me? I don't know, maybe I just like, took my life in my hands, and if I say one thing that doesn't please you, I'm dead. I don't know. I love you, husband. You know, just like, my goodness. Even to half the kingdom it shall be given to you. You've you got to love it when a king says that. Up to half the kingdom. He's prone to those grandiose statements. You know there are other people there, too. Like Up to half the kingdom, whatever you want, my dear. I don't know why I slipped into a British accent there. Um, (laughs) If it pleases the king, so this is her request. And you know this has got to be the wisdom of God because of how this whole thing works. We'll see how it works out. But this has got to be the wisdom of God. Where does the wisdom of God come from? Does it come like a bolt from the sky out of nowhere while you're off doing God knows what with, with whoever? No, no. How does the wisdom of God work? You pray. You focus on God. You spend time with God. She had spent three days fasting and praying. This is not a bolt from the sky. I mean, in the moment, it might have felt like that, but this came from somewhere, right? She's already in tune with God here. And she says to him, if it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet. What? Let's have a party. I want to have a party with you, king, and I want you to bring Haman. Let's have a party together. And so they have a banquet. They, you know, she's smart. She waits till they drink wine. And then she says to them, and then the king says to her, Esther, you know, tell me, what is your petition? What, what is your true petition? Whatever it is, it will be granted to you. What is your request, even to half of the kingdom? He says it a second time, right? And Esther asks, well, my only petition for you, king, is that you come back tomorrow night and we do this again. Have another banquet with you and Haman here. And so Haman goes home. And, uh, you know, to be invited to, the, to a banquet, and there are only three people one's the king, one's the queen, and one is Haman. <laughs> and so he's got a spring in his step, and he's leaving the, the king's palace, and he's on his way home. And as he leaves, what happens to all the people? Bow to him. And then there's that one stick in the mud, Mordecai. Even after the edict is out, he still stands there. Where does this guy come from? I don't know, but it ruins Haman's day. He's like, I'm so great. But he doesn't recognize it. He goes ho- This is unbelievable. He goes home, and he's got his friends and his wife there. And it says that he recounted to them all of his glory and riches. What does that even mean? He's like, I've got 15 horses. I've got 12 golden pots over here. Whatever the Persian, you know, equivalent of modern stocks are. You know what I mean? Like he's just going through his portfolio with them. And then then he describes the number of his sons. He's like, I've got this many sons. And then it says he recounted every time that the king magnified him. He went through the whole history of every time that he was ever recognized for doing anything well before the king, right? And then, he's not done, he recounts the time when the king finally exalted him above all the princes and the servants. And then last of all, he tells them with a grin on his face how even just tonight he was invited to a private banquet with just the king and the queen. And then uh, look at chapter 5, verse 13. And then what, what he says is, Yet all of this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the gate. I, 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 just, I just can't handle him. He doesn't recognize my greatness. He goes through a whole list of every reason why he's so great. And then there's one person there's one person in the entire kingdom that says, eh, ah, you're not so great. And that's it. It's like a pinprick to his balloon. And his sweet wife says, have a gallows 50 cubits high made. Do you know what gallows are? That's the wooden frame on which you hang a noose. Thank you, dear. What a great suggestion. <laughs> Who are these people? And uh, 50 cubits is 75 feet tall. So, I mean, this is going to be this massive structure, this massive wooden frame, and there's going to be the rope hanging down, right, so that he can have Mordecai hung. Mm. So she says, Have a gallows 50 cubits high made in the morning and ask the king, the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And so, but then it turns out that night the king had a uh, had difficulty sleeping. He couldn't sleep that night, so Haman's sound asleep, and he's got this, like, smile on his face. He's sleeping there peacefully. He's like, tomorrow I'm going to kill Mordecai. Probably the best sleep he had, right? Because he knows he's got a plan. It's going to work. It's going to deal with this problem. And then no one will be able to say, eh, I don't think so. Everyone will be like, oh, yes, you are the greatest. Yes, you are. The- oh, phew. Out of all the people, I- other than the king, you are the greatest, Haman. Uh, now, he can sleep well. But the king can't sleep. So the king wakes up, and when you're really up in the middle of the night and you really you just need something to put you back to sleep, you bring in your servant, and you have him read the Chronicle of the Kings of, the, of Media and Persia. You have him read your own history. I mean, that's dry stuff, I'm sure. So he's having this stuff read to him, and in the reading of it, they describe how Mordecai had discovered this plot and had basically saved the king's life. And uh, he gets to the end of that, and the king says, you know, he kind of perks up, and he says to the guy, what's been done for this Mordecai? Has anybody honored him? Has anybody said thank you? Has anybody given him a promotion? Has anything been done for this man? And they say to him, no, you know, nothing's been done. And he says, okay, let's honor this man and just then it was morning, and Haman was in the courtyard. And so Haman walks in, and uh, the king says to Haman, Haman, what should the king do for someone that he wanted to honor? What, what do you think he should do, Haman? And of course, Haman thinks to himself, who would the king want to honor more than me? <laughs> this is it, right? And so what, th- what does Haman say to him? Um, Haman, this is uh, chapter 6, verse 7. Then Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king desires to honor, let him bring a royal robe, which the king has worn, and the horse on which the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown has been placed. Mm. So dress him up like the king, in the king's robe on the king's horse with a crown on his head, and let the robe you know, basically make him the king you know, for like a day. <laughs> king for a day. You can see like a reality TV show. And let the robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble princes, and let them array the man whom the king desires to honor, and lead him on horseback through the city square, and proclaim before him, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Take quickly the robes and the horses you have said, and do so for Mordecai, the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate, and do not fall short of anything that you have said." And so there's Haman going into the king with the request, Can I kill Mordecai? I built this 75-foot gallows at my house. You know, Haman's always like the convenience guy, right? It's like, I already built the thing. You don't have to do anything. You just sign right here, right? He goes in to request that, and instead he gets asked this question, and now he's got to go find Mordecai. And instead of killing him, he's got to parade him through the city square on the horse. So here's Haman walking. Here's Mordecai on the royal horse with the royal robes and a crown on his head. And there's Haman. This is what should be done for the man whom the king wants to honor. And Mordecai's up there, and I, I can't even imagine the expression on his face. Like... God's doing something. He's shaking something up, right? And it's all because Esther said, I will go, I will walk in. So the, many of you know what happens next. But what, what ends up happening is uh, they have the banquet again. Mordecai, uh, or uh, Haman comes home and uh, b- before the banquet. Haman comes home after parading Mordecai through the city. And he's just so glum. He's just like, I wanted to kill him, but... Now I had to honor him. Now it's going to be so much harder to kill him. And he's like the only person that doesn't think I'm great. And I don't know what to do. And he's just kind of like stewing. And then suddenly the king's servants come and they hurry him away. They're like, you've got to go to the banquet. It's time for the banquet. So he goes to the banquet. And he's there at the banquet. And, uh, you know, they drank wine and they have food together. And uh, the king says to Esther, come on, Esther, tell me, what is it that you want? And she tells him and she says, you know, I just, I just ask for the life of my people. If we had just been sold as slaves, I wouldn't even say a thing. But they're going to kill us, annihilate us, and destroy us. And so I just beg for the life of my people. That's all I want, King. Just my own life and the life of my people. That's all I want. And the king says, Who in the, who's threatening? What are you talking about? Who would ever do this to you, my dear? Right? And then she turns her finger to the other man at the table and said, This wicked Haman. At which point the king. Who we know had a little anger problem, <laughs> blew his lid and went out to the king's garden. So he's over here at the king's garden, and he's just probably uttering a bunch of Persian curse words. And then over here, you've got Esther and Haman. And Haman's is just like, this is literally the worst day of his life. <laughs> right? He just had to honor the guy that he hated. And now he's being accused of genociding the queen and her people, which he, is true. And so he's, he, he doesn't know what to do. And he's just like falling down on the couch and, and begging her. And just then, Ahasuerus comes in, and, he's, and he sees him on the couch with his wife. He says, oh, you, oh no, you, oh. oh. Now you're going to try to take the queen? And it says they covered his face. As the king's order went out of his mouth, they covered his face. The, the impression I get is that they put a hood over his head and just whisked him away. And they're like, arrest, out of here. Right? And then one of the servants pipes up and says, you know that Haman had a gallows built yesterday for Mordecai. And the king's like, Mordecai? He's like my best guy. We just honored him around the city. And so they hung Haman on the gallows that he made himself. I would like to say one last, one last point. Here's one last point. Uh, even though this whole thing went down like this, her people still weren't safe. And after this whole thing blew over, she had to go back in a second time. You read it. She went in a second time. And the second time she ran up to the king and, you know, she's taking her life in her hand depending on his mood, right? And she fell to his feet and she wept bitterly and she begged for the life of, his, of her people. She did it a second time. And so the king said, All right, well, we can't repeal the law, but we can make a new law that the Jews can defend themselves. And what ended up happening was they were able to not get slaughtered and defeat their enemies. But what does that teach us about us? I want you to ask yourself the question I have it in your program notes there at the bottom three questions. What is one area in your life where fear is holding you back? What is one change? You would make in your life if you had the courage of Esther. And do you think God would back you up if you made that change? I want you to think about that just for a second here. Because I want to be courageous. This is the legacy of our people. These are our people. Esther's our people. These are our people. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us the courage of Esther. We all have areas in our lives where we're holding back or fear is crippling us. Sometimes the fear is warranted. Sometimes the fear is not warranted. But dear God, I pray that you help us to be genuine Christians, true followers of Christ, a man who faced death head on, who suffered, who died, who came out the other side in the resurrection. And he is our example. We ask that you would help us to realize that everything is not just what we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears and touch with our hands, but that you are a God who is behind the scenes working. We ask that you help us to trust you. And if we perish, we perish. But we ask that you would give us that strength. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you enjoyed what you heard here, why not give Restitutio a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher? Doing so will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening, and check us out online at restitutio.org, where you can find an archive of all the podcasts, as well as a bunch of articles and links to other resources. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.